Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the host of a special investigation series of Maryland Behind the Icon during the 60th anniversary of the star's death, where we'll look into the mystery and break down for you, the audience, of what the facts are versus the lies around the star that have been plaguing her for over six decades. We have some of the top Maryland experts with me on the panel. Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, lifetimes in films of Marilyn Monroe, and April Via Via, now Chambers, Marilyn Monroe, A Day in the Life, and Donald McGovern, Murder Orthodoxies, a non-conspiracy view of Marilyn Monroe's death. Each week, we will break down for you what is fact, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor. So let's get started. In our last episode, we started talking about the birth of the rumor mill and Frank Capel. But let's put this into more of a cultural texture. Gary, why don't you jump in and give us the frame up of what was going on at the time? Sure, Nina. It's nice to be back with everyone. So Frank Capel's pamphlet, The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe, was released in 1964, and it was re-released in 67, 68, and 69 with addenda. And so this bridges from the mid-60s to the late 60s, and there was a lot going on politically and socially in the country, which kind of set a stage for conspiracy theories and for the public to be interested in them or believe them. So let's just back it up to 1963 when Uh, President Kennedy was assassinated. The Warren Commission uh, determined that it was a a single assassin the following year, 1964, and the public didn't believe this. And when the public has been polled, they have believed that it's a conspiracy theory related to JFK being assassinated. After that came Senator Ted Kennedy's Chappaquiddick incident in 1969. We know this story when his car, the car he was driving, went off the bridge at Chappaquiddick and Mary Jo Kopechny drowned and Senator Kennedy left the scene and she wasn't rescued by him and she died. And then in the early 70s, we had the Watergate scandal. So all of those events And for those who don't remember the Watergate scandal, I do. That had to do with the Nixon administration staging a burglary at the Democratic National Headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. So all of those events led to officials really damaging the public faith and confidence. And so when Capel comes out with these allegations against Robert Kennedy, it is kind of a climate where people would be interested, people might believe it because people have a misfaith in elected officials and men in power. And Gary, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting in terms of the timing of this, because even when we were talking about five or six years ago, the climate wasn't as challenging as it is now in today's day and age, right? There's a lot of people that mistrust whatever side you're on, the left or the right. And so we are experiencing this right now where there's a lot of mistrust. And so these conspiracy theories really start to gain momentum. So with that said, now we're talking about Frank Compel and we're finishing up there and then we're going to move into another gentleman named Norman Mailer. But let's talk a little bit more about Frank Capel and, and that connection a little bit uh, more and frame that up. 
Frank Capel partnered with Jack Clemens. And we've talked about Jack yeah. Clemens being one of the first officers on the scene. He wasn't the only one. There were others with him. But Clemens was a member of the Police and Fire Rescue Association, which was a conservative group. And their mission was, and I'm going to quote this from their literature, to expose subversive activities which threaten our American way of life. So he and Capel wanted to take down Robert Kennedy. And this is not an outlying conspiracy between these men. This was actually a behavior pattern. They had attempted to do this before. And when we look at 1964, after President Kennedy's death, there was the potential for multiple Kennedy brothers to be in political power for decades to come. There was the Attorney General, Robert Kennedy, who became Senator, and there was also Ted Kennedy, who was Senator. And so, Clearly, Robert Kennedy was the contender for presidency in the upcoming years. And the multiple releases of Frank Capel's book were in line with Robert Kennedy's ascension and direction toward the White House. But I think April has done a lot of research on the other senator that Capel and Clemens and another man attempted to take down before they focused on Robert Kennedy. So April, if you can chime in and then also Dawn, please uh, lend your comments on this as well. Yeah. So Frank Capel, as Gary just pointed out, um, he runs a very far right organization. And in 1964, Capel and Clemens collaborate with a publicity man named John Fergus. And they're going to go after a senator from California who's named Thomas Kekel, who is trying to get the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed. They come up with this story that Kegel was found in a car in a compromising position, which was basically um, the 1960s way of saying that he was found with another man. And it come to find out this story's false. There had been some staffers of Kegel in 1950 who had been arrested for drunk driving. And the, this is the story that Compel and Clemens are going to twist and turn almost 15 years later into something it wasn't. So in February of 1965, Capel, Clemens, and Fergus are all indicted for conspiracy to libel uh, against Kekel. Uh, and Clemens avoids jail time, but in exchange for this, he has to resign from the LAPD. Yeah. And one of the other things too, and Dawn, I think you were talking about this in the last episode is he, and maybe it was you, April, that was talking about how Clemens tried to spin it is the reason why he was released from the LAPD was the fact that he was focusing on the Marilyn Monroe case. Is that correct, Dawn? Yes. Yes. That was the lie Clemens told and has been repeated several times, particularly by Donald Wolf and also by Anthony Summers. So as you can hear, we are giving birth to what this rumor mill is about. You have Jack Clemens, you have Frank Capel, you have Winchell, you have these peripheral players that have all been in a group to be able to make sure that they exercise the power that they're wanting in the conservative power. And everybody is just like today, is going after each other. So you see the climate, you see six decades later, how we have to break this down for you so you understand where the rumors got started. 
So with that said, you know, we talked a little bit about Jack Clemens and Frank Capel getting sentenced to jail, but did they actually, Don, go to jail? I recall reading in an FBI file that even though they were sentenced, uh, the jail time sentence was suspended and they didn't spend any time in jail. That's what I recall. And April, what is, from your records, what are you showing? Um, I see where they were sentenced to three months, but I would go with Dawn's on that. And it's probably just, I have an incomplete clipping on it. So, you know, here's the wonderful thing about what you're hearing, guys, is we're going to break it down. Fact, probable theory, outlandish rumor. So the fact is they were sentenced. We're not quite sure if they actually went to jail, given where what we know now, but they certainly were sentenced to it. So with that said, let's start to expand on this rumor mill. There is another journalist, an American author, who is named Norman Mailer, that also fits into the scene now. And Gary, tell us how he's framed up now in the birth of this rumor mill. Well, Norman Mailer was known for what was called creative nonfiction, a form of new journalism. Uh, Truman Capote was another. But this style uses literary fiction in factual journalism. So you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Fiction, facts, and I think it was Norman Mailer who coined the term factoid, which wasn't really a fact. And now we hear about facts and alternative facts. So you can kind of hear this man's orientation now addressing a best-selling biography of Marilyn Monroe 11 years after she's died. And so how that came into place was that there was an exhibit of Monroe photographs that Larry Schiller, the photographer, had been involved in. And this traveled, I think, the United States. And so it was time to turn these pictures into a coffee table photo book. And so Norman Mailer was contracted to write the captions or write a foreword. Well, it kind of expanded into him writing a full-length biography when he had a very short amount of time. And so what he did was he, he didn't really do research. He turned to a previous biographer, Maurice Zolotow from the 1960 Monroe biography, and he used a lot of information from Zolotow, which eventually led to him being sued for plagiarism. And so when he put this book together on Monroe and it was released in 73, there was some mention of Kennedy's and some speculation about Monroe's death, but I don't believe it was until the paperback in 1975 where he added that additional chapter, The Murder File, And he started to draw some conclusions. I'd like to just read the one paragraph that really summarizes what Norman Mailer contributes to this. He writes, political stakes were writing on her life and even more on her death. If she could be murdered in such a way as a suicide in despair at the turn of her love, what a point of pressure could be maintained afterwards against the Kennedys? So one might be entitled to speak of a motive for murder. Of course, it's another matter to find that evidence exists. So he's kind of just playing with the reader and making these allegations. He was a friend of Arthur Miller's, and he had asked to meet Monroe when the Millers were married, and both Arthur and Marilyn declined the visit. And it was long after Miller published this book, which didn't treat Monroe or Miller very kindly. Miller commented that maybe if Mailer had actually met her and spent time with her and 
experienced her humanity, he might have been much kinder to both of them in the way he treated Monroe's life in a biography. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Uh, Don, any comments on Mailer and what Gary's saying? Uh, not really. I think Gary pretty well summed it up, except Mailer did coin the neologism factoid specifically for this Marilyn Monroe biography. And uh, he defined the factoid as a fact that didn't really exist until it appeared in print. <laughs> it was something made up that became a fact after it appeared in print. Wow. It's uh, it's pretty uh, comparable to what's going on in today's day and age. April, you know, I, I think if we were talking about Norman Mailer, didn't he also go on record too later on and say that he was actually he made some of this stuff up for money? Yeah. So Norman Mailer goes on Mike Wallace for 60 minutes. As Don pointed out, he also goes on to Johnny Carson and he claims that I mean, I shouldn't say he claims. He says, I really needed the money. That's why I wrote this book. And just real quick to tie him with them too. Frank Capel absolutely hates Mailer's book because he believes that Mailer has lifted a bunch of information from his pamphlet. So Mailer mentions uh, the strange death of Marilyn Monroe in the last chapter of the book, but then he basically dismisses it says it was too sur- surrealistic and that the theory was too strange. But then he kind of advances Capel's theory in the book, in his book. Yeah, and Capel plays around with the idea of, you know, suing Mailer for plagiarism from his pamphlet. And of course, he doesn't do that, but he does go back and forth on that in 1973. It's a really great interview with Mike Wallace, if you ever can see it, because Mike Wallace really goes after Mailer and asks him to put his neck on the line and say, do you really think Robert Kennedy was at her house? And he says, no. And and he says, well, do you really think she she was murdered? And he's like, well, 10 to one, I don't think she was murdered. I think it was accidental suicide. So Wallace is like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't make these allegations in, in your book, but then sit here and tell me that you don't believe any of this is true. And it's very confrontational and it's a great interview. And Mike Wallace even includes the transcript of it in his biography or his autobiography, because I think he was so proud of that confrontation. Well, and I also think that we should do this for any of the listeners. If you go to our Facebook behind the icon page, I will go ahead personally and we'll make sure that we get that listed for you so we can find it on YouTube. So if you want to check out that 60 minute interview clip, uh, we'll have it there by the time that you listen to this episode. Now, here we are. Uh, Marilyn Monroe dies August of 1962. We've got Clemens. We've got Frank Capel. We've got Winchell. You know, we've got uh, Norman Mailer. Okay. What is the time period of all these people? building this rumor mill, Gary? So we're, we're really starting from The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe by Frank Capel in 1964. There's a few biographies of Monroe through the 60s, but don't really point to any kind of murder conspiracy. You've got Fred Lawrence Giles, who publishes his biography in 1969 and references Robert Kennedy, but not by name, just an, an Easterner in Monroe's life. And so then you have Mailer's book in 73, So you've got about close to a decade following Monroe's death. So there you have it. We have now laid out three key men 
in the birth of the rumor mill. I'd like to thank the panel, Gary Vitaka Robles, April Chambers, and Donald McGovern as they break down for you, the audience, what is fact, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor. I'm Nina Bosky, and until next time, the truth will be known.